The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So I'd like to start off reading a poem called Practice. I feel empty. A jackass rabbit ridiculously scampers across my path. There is so much whirling around happening. I decide to hang out painfully with the not knowing. A cow docilely stands in the middle of my path with a complete understanding of time. As I approach, she turns her head towards me and our eyes meet. And she graciously walks off to my right without fear. Could this empty, alone, not knowing emotion be sublime equanimity? I look ahead and see a a white egret standing on the left side of my path with an attitude of imbalance. As I approach, he senses my presence, my inquiry, and the movement he makes with his neck as my path is cleared speaks yes. So, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, ritual and hindsight um, before I start to get into some of the twists and turns uh, that happened on my spiritual journey and my history with practice. Um, with my involvement with the chaplaincy program, um, I've come to, to realize how important ritual is to me. And what I, as I, in hindsight, as I reflect, I've realized that it's been actually important for me, for me, for my whole life. If I look back when I was a child, it was quite nurturing. Um, you know, watch, eat, eating meals together and watching the meal be prepared, watching my father garden and prepare the soil, even walking to church, you know, as a family. Um, this ritual was really just nourishing, uh, nurturing for me. And even, even, you know, church, the mass was said in Latin, and that was even quite, you know, the sounds of the, um, the rituals and the incense. And, um, and then over time, you know, it kind of got muddled with, um, you know, mixed in with stress and contact with the world. So I'd like to um, tell a little story about how I've come to realize the importance of ritual. I have um, three grown children in their 20s, and um, we cook together around the holidays, and, and my son decided that he wanted to learn how to make sushi, so he organized a, a sushi-making night. So the four of us got together and, and um, learned how to make sushi together. And to my delight, it ended up being a, pretty much a monthly ritual. And um, one time, my daughter, um, I was unavailable by phone one morning, and when I noticed my phone, it had um, four missed calls from my daughter. So I immediately gave her a call, and her first, you know, um, comment was, Mom, where were you? And, and I said, well, I was, you know, occupied all morning. And she said that she... Um, was frantically trying to organize a sushi-making night. 
for there was some stress in her in her in her day that she felt the need to to be comforted and um, this was it was this was quite powerful for me to see how just a simple ritual of um, things that I had done while they were growing up meant so much to them and uh, I feel quite blessed that they feel that um, my home is a safe place for them to come to. And this brings me to um, how I learned to hold a container for my kids and do some self-nurturing, which um, I learned how to do through my meditation practice and my loving-kindness practice. And there's another kind of ritual that I now want to talk about, and that's one that um, inclines the mind towards more wholesome states. And this um, is a ritual that I kind of performed right before I came here because this is my first public speaking uh, talk. And um, so I had to, um, you know, when Gil first asked me to give a talk, you know, my response was, no way. (laughs) No, absolutely no way. And then later, you know, he told me he had me scheduled to give a talk. <laughs> and, and I looked at him with shock. And he says, oh, did we talk about this? And I said, and I said no. <laughs> and, and I said I wasn't ready. And then a third time he came and said uh, that uh, he asked me again. And this time I figured, well, I, I better, you know, give it a try. So, so my ritual before coming here was to... Uh, sacrifice my idea of not being able to give a talk and um, decided to step off the cliff and um, realize that, you know, with my understanding of practice that the only way I'm going to be able to get over that is to actually start and do it and realize that, um, you know, just taking the the risk to give it a try and to know that it may not go very well, or I'll make mistakes and not know what to say, and whatever. But anyway, here I am. And thank you for um, for being here with me while, while I kind of trudge through this. So, um, to talk a little bit about how I came to IMC and how I came to the chaplaincy program, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about conditioning, my um, family of origin and my conditioning, because that uh, definitely had, um, you know, with, with um, work that needed to be done to un- undo some of the bad habits that I developed, you know, growing up. And um, so that's, so one of the, the big parts in my childhood, I, I was raised, um, I'm one of six, and I I had I, I kind of had a, a learning disability. Only I didn't really wasn't really aware of it. I had difficulty reading and writing, and as a kid I didn't speak much. And with six kids, I didn't. I guess I wasn't nurtured enough to actually be encouraged to speak. So that's that's one of. So I developed a lot of habits around not letting people know that I didn't know how to read or write, and, and that, you know, carried on through college. You know, when I, um, I somehow just sort of went along with my conditioning. 
and some of the courses that I was really interested in, like some of the requirements for the humanities. Uh, I remember taking, oh, just getting into college, I had to, my SAT scores were so low around the reading and writing, I had to take the, you know, the dummy, you know, writing course, and I happened to fail it twice. And then there was also another requirement of um, humanities, and I was in this philosophy class, which I absolutely loved. And um, I couldn't do the reading, but I could kind of pick up a lot what was going on and ended up failing that too because I couldn't do the writing at the end. So I kind of switched gears and I could do well in math and sciences. So I ended up getting my degree in applied physics and information sciences and found a way to get around some of the, um, the writing requirements. So that's been kind of a strong pattern in my life is, 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 is getting around my, my disability or not even know, knowing that I even have a disability or what they call as a disability. So, so those were some of the conditionings. And then um, um, there was a big shift in my, in my life when I had children. And this, this opened me up in a way that was quite powerful. I realized that I did a lot of some of the mindfulness stuff that we do here unknowingly with, with, with this, this phase of my life. Just the process of being pregnant um, was a, a strong meditative practice because I was totally aware of what was happening in my body and it, and it was, um, and, as I, and, I, and now as, as I do more practice, I kind of reflect back to those experiences that I had through the whole process of, of giving birth, you know, the beginning, the middle, and the end. And then as, you know, raising children, another um, aspect of practice came in, you know, with, with causes and conditions. And I was very interested in, in watching the reactions and what worked with kids and, and uh, communication skills. And I started taking courses on, you know, how to listen so kids talk and talk so kids listen. And, and so I, um, I love this space. I love this learning. And it, it opened me up in a way that um, I, I had this sense of purpose. And it made me, you know, kind of come alive. And it also, um, I started exploring also learning styles with three different kids. And, and I got a little bit more information on, on my disability. And it also brought me into the community. Uh, the involvement with um, the kids and being in school and, and being a real shy kid. This was a stretch for me and putting myself out there in, in that way. And then another step, another leap in my uh, spiritual path came about when uh, my kids started bringing home their, their writing and their, their artwork. And, and I had this, this tug, you know, like, do you want to do, take this class or do you want to do that class? And I realized this was something that I needed to do. So I started exploring art uh, for myself and uh, realized that uh, sculpture was... Uh, the medium that I, I liked working in. So I started working, and this became my first uh, contemplative practice, you know, working with, um, with sculpting. And I could, I could watch all the negative habits of mind, you know, it should look like this or it shouldn't look like that, and, and this isn't going anywhere. And, and I just hung in there. I just, I just kept at it. And then there was also the community aspect there too as well was important to me working with other other people 
uh, doing this work as well. And so this was going on and, and um, you know, raising kids and doing art. And, and then in 1989, there was a, we had that earthquake. And this, this, was, this was quite an experience for me because I was standing, I was standing with my, my 80-year-old neighbor who uh, remained calm the whole thing and I was um, it really struck me as something quite profound and Gil kind of in one talk talked about an emotion that he called elevation where you can um, experience this this shift just by by being with somebody and that's what happened with me with this man I was I was totally amazed that um, somebody could remain calm in, in being shocked, you know, it was, it was an eye-opener for me. And what, what I realized um, in that um, was, and then also with, with, with that earthquake, you know, I, I knew that my husband was out of town, so I didn't have to worry about him, and I just took care of my kids, and the neighborhood kind of got together, and and uh, when my, my husband called, he was, you know, he was seeing on the news that the Bay Bridge had fallen, you know, collapsed. And, and he was upset that I hadn't tried to contact him. And it was kind of an eye-opener for me because I, I realized that I didn't look to him for any kind of emotional support. So this was... Um, it kind of put my, my life kind of in a spin when I realized that our lives had kind of you know, separated. You know, he was working on his career and very busy with that, and I was working, you know, this way. And at this time, it was also um, my family of origin was, was there was a, a shake-up in that, and that my mother was having difficulty with alcohol. And um, it, uh, I guess this, this experience I had gave me a little bit of, uh, I needed to do something. I needed to do something about my marriage. I needed to do something about my family of origin. And my brother and I ended up, um, we ended up doing an intervention with my mom, which was quite powerful. And she um, went into the Betty Ford Center, and my dad actually went into a codependent program as well. And each program's had, um, you know, a week where the family can come in and also do work with it. And, and then I got to see, you know, more of the family dynamics and, and my identity, you know, kind of, you know, um, I started looking at my identity in a, in a very different way, this, you know, caretaker role, this codependent role in myself. And that kind of um, opened up, uh, you know, working with, with therapists and, and shifting that around. So that was... Um, so these t- new teachers kind of came into my life. And at that time, I also started working with my first spiritual teacher, this woman who um, led a journal writing course. And she used um, movie clips to kind of get our imagination going. And she had themes, and then she would ask us questions. And it, it, it helped me explore a lot of what was going on in my life and relationships. It was quite amazing. And, and then I started doing some writing. And, and she also introduced me to another practice with the, using active imagination. 
And, and that actually has come in real handy later in my meditative practice, you know, with dropping in a question and, and um, letting something kind of arise. So, so that was sort of, you know, a lot of the middle part of my journey. And then I came, and then my um, father came to my house one day, very sick. And this was my introduction to the, you know, sickness, old age, and death, because he was very sick and ended up dying. And so I got to, to watch that process as well. And that, that opened me up in a new way as well, just like, you know, giving birth, the death process, and the life process. And, and then at the same time, after this experience, it shifted me again in, an, in, a, in, a new, in, a, in a deeper way. And it put tr- stress on my marriage. And until that kind of became kind of... Um, the crisis kind of became critical. And it dawned on me that, uh, you know, the... the um, I think we are causing more harm than good. I didn't have enough of the skills to, communication skills, to sort of make that kind of work. So we ended up separating. And this, this caused another sort of leap in my growth. You know, here I was with, with three kids and managing alone and um, no career because I wasn't working at the time. And, and then the process of divorce and custody and... and um, but I still had, you know, the spiritual practice that I was doing. And poetry then kind of showed up for me. And I started doing a lot of, you know, writing. And, um, and then someone had introduced me to the I Ching in this, in this course that I was taking. And I started looking at attitude. And it's just, it was a beautiful book on, on changes. And it actually maps onto the Eightfold Path. So this was the text that I started studying with. And eventually, you know, a woman in my sculpture class had mentioned, if I like that, I should try IMC. So that's actually how I came to IMC. And that was about in the late 1990s. And when I came here, it was, um, it was when we were back in Palo Alto. And it was sort of odd that, you know, you'd kind of come and sit and listen to a talk and then leave. And I, I really, really appreciated the talks. But I couldn't quite figure out the community part of it. And it reminded me a little bit of uh, the dysfunctional part of the church that I grew up in. So that was, that was quite, quite, kind of puzzling for me. Um, until one day I was standing next to Gil. And I just kind of felt this, this rush of energy kind of come up. And it felt like, oh, I can trust this guy. So I ended up hanging out here. And I'm glad I did because um, I started really looking at um, what happened with me um, when anger was was directed towards me. Um, and I just sat with it, and I sat with the uncomfortable feeling of one the thought about, um, you know, and just and stayed with it. And I can I can to this day remember the first time I experienced. Um, I received a call, and this person was was really angry with me, and was ranting and raving. and And I remember that I it had just gone right past me, 
And as the rant was, you know, was going on and on and on, I was completely calm through the whole thing. And finally, when he stopped, I, I just calmly said, "Okay, now I, it's time for me to go." And this was so profound that um, I kept, you know, I kept at this practice. Then another kind of twist happened, and I hope this isn't totally boring, you guys. <laughs> no, it's okay. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's going all right. Okay. Um, this 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 was probably the darkest part in in my life when um, I I had been out of the workforce for a long time and I needed to get back to work and uh, my skills with doing computer work, which I which is what I was doing. Um, you know, it had been such a, a, a long gap, and so it was useless. And I wasn't really interested in doing that. And at this point, you know, my mother also died. And she died in a car accident, and it was um, kind of complicated that there was a lawsuit because she was the one that was driving. And, and it kind of caused um, uh, a rift in my family, you know, between my brothers and my sisters dealing with this lawsuit and... And it was very, I just kind of, um, kind of fell apart, you know, watching, watching all this. And, and I realized that I kind of held a wrong, you know, view that, and this doubt kind of came about that I wasn't capable of finding work and, um, that I no longer had a sense of purpose. My children were getting older and didn't need me and, and, and so, um, so that, and, and then I, you know, realized that I looked at identity again, you know, where I had this identity that I was this depressed person instead of an optimistic person. And, and I kind of got stuck in that cycle for a while um, until that crisis kind of became critical. And, and the weight of, um, and then there was this, you know, the teaching of not taking what's not given. And I realized that I had to let go of, um, of taking any money from my ex. He didn't want to give it. You know, no, he didn't want to pay child support. He, and I finally, the, the weight of that was just wearing me out. And I decided to just let that all go. And, um, and even in this, the psychic distress was so intense that meditation practice kind of made it worse. So I ended up letting that go too. And I let go of the I Ching and I just kind of let it all go. And, um, and then after, you know, then I sort of looked for work and, and I, found, I found a job that I actually quite enjoyed. So things started to then kind of come back. And slowly I started, you know, coming back and doing meditation and, and I was co-teaching a sculpture class at that point and and then another big kind of shift happened when Gil started doing the Dharma practice days, which involved um, interaction with people in the community. And then I really started to feel part of the community when I started to get to know people. And, and he had exercises that, that also um, challenged us a little bit more. So um, that... And I started doing volunteer work here, and, and my practice kind of deepened. 
And then I was laid off after a number of years. So that was another big twist, that here I was because the, the downturn in the economy and, and my skills are, you know, so um, I don't have a whole lot of you know, skills as far as finding work. But I didn't, it, it wasn't, um, it was challenging. And, um, and at the time, you know, I was, I was really investigating going back to school and doing something that was a little bit closer to my heart and get over this reading and writing part. But I couldn't really quite find anything that really resonated. And at the time, I started doing some hospice volunteer work, which I grew to really love. And um, the part about it that I loved the most was actually the chaplain part. And I looked into, you know, what it would take to get a master's in divinity and go that route. And, and that was probably the most daunting graduate program um, that I looked at. And so I sort of left it, at this point, unresolved. And I ended up finding another job that um, actually turned out to be kind of a dream job. It was, it was kind of a quirky little job. Um, I was working in a, in a, in a um, hotel, a little gift store in a hotel that I managed. And it was tucked off into this little, you know, like a, uh, a dark, you know, tiny little room. And the part that was most neat about it was that, um, that it was very quiet. And there really wasn't a whole lot of people coming in. So I had this time to myself to really investigate what it was that I wanted to do next. And... It ended up, and I also, it was also interesting to do that kind of work. I had to manage a few salespeople and to do it from a real slow pace um, scale. You know, the, the previous job I had, I was managing an art gallery custom frame shop and it could get quite busy and frantic. And so this was delightful to use my meditative practice to, to do things more and slowly and investigate um, aspects of managing. And uh, I also worked at my attachments to status and money. And that was, you know, a time that I kind of really looked at how I, how I held that. And my, I realized that, that this year and a half that I was doing this work, I ended up, um, you know, doing more writing. And, and I started working with the I Ching images again and exploring the Eightfold Path. And my practice started really deepening. And I started doing, um, working in a, a writing support group with the, with, the chap, with the hospice work and started reading things out loud, which I would have never done before. And um, so that sort of also pushed me a little bit too. And I knew this, this job wasn't going to last because they weren't making any money. They had a year and a half contract and I was uh, t- you know, just pleased to be where I was and doing what I was doing. And... Um, so with the idea of being laid off again, you know, I could see the hotel manager showing the property to somebody else and I could watch the fear arise. And, and then I watched it arise and it would just kind of fade away. And so I got to, to look at all the added stuff I heaped on myself around being unemployed, all the unnecessary suffering. The practice was sort of, you know, showing me the way in that, in that regard. And I also realized that this time was so powerful that I wanted to, um, when I got laid off, because I knew it was going to happen, that I wanted to take a year off. I had enough savings and take a year off and really deepen my practice more, do some retreats. And, and, um, and then I noticed the, the Saudi Center chaplaincy flyer. 
And um, I applied for it, and they accepted me, and the job ended, and the chaplaincy started, and the retreat started before that, and and that's how I... And then within the that chaplaincy program, you have to do 100 hours of volunteer work. So I also started doing an intensive program at San Francisco General Hospital. So um, that is... Um, And, I, and with this, with the chaplaincy program, it, it's, it's a graduate level course, and there was reading, and then there's also writing assignments. And slowly, over time, I realized that that I could do all the writing, and I could manage to do some of the reading. And halfway through, um, I decided to apply for a year residency in the fall, and um, they accepted me. So I have that starting in the fall, so I kind of know a little bit about what I'm going to be doing next year, and from after that, I'm not sure what's going to happen. But that's how, and then that's how I came here. So, anyway, that's sort of my story of practice. And um, I'll kind of end with a, another poem. And this, I was on retreat last week, and this was an experience I had with the calmness that I came away with, the potential that can um, hopefully someday stay with me, not just a few days after a retreat. It's called Unseen. I feel dumb. I'm stopped at a stop sign. My intention is to turn right. It's my turn for all is clear. As I start my turn, I feel something is off. I pause the turn, yet all is still clear. And as I start again, I hear a boy's shout from behind. Looking over my shoulder, a boy on a bike now comes into my vision. I slam on the brake as he barrels through the intersection without stopping at the sign. Where's the rush of anxiety? After this experience, I was so, I was so struck with there was just, there was just a slamming on the brake and that was it. That was the end of it. There was no anxiety. There was no rush. There was no, no anything. So that's the power of practice. Thank you. Any any questions or? That's a very moving, very moving story. Um, so, as you described these events in your life, um, uh, I'm wondering how they inform uh, your practice uh, in this chaplaincy program uh, that you're working in, and as you work with people in the program. I find that... Um I think it, 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 it goes together quite well, you know, the uh, being, having a number of crises in my, in my life um, and then walking in and, and serving, you know, walking into a situation where there's crisis and being able to be calm for a person while this crisis is happening. It, it seems to, to serve, um, allow them the space Again, like I talked a little bit about what I do for my children, creating a container 
that's what it feels like when I walk into the hospital room when there's, there's someone in, in crisis. And there's also something kind of powerful that happens when I walk in with a chaplain um, name tag. You know, even though it's... they, it, it somehow drops the conversation deep almost immediately. They have some, some crisis that's going on and, and they just need to someone to listen to. So that's basically what I do is... I don't, <clears throat> I don't have a question, but I have a comment. And this is such an unusual comment because I don't know you, but yet you have revealed so much about yourself as a human being that I feel proud of you. Hi. Knowing what I know of you and how difficult it has been for you sometimes to um, to speak to a number of people, I'm really proud of you too. Thanks. And it's it's a pleasure to uh, um, hear your story. Your journey seems to bring you closer to the practice at times and farther away at others. How long was it before you considered yourself a Buddhist? Oh. I don't know that I, I think when that's a tough question because I don't know if I if I know when when it, it really I mean I have to say the you know, only within the last number of years did it did it really become a major part of my life. Um, that that being laid off from work and then knowing that I, it just kind of fell into the next thing and then I fell into the next thing and it just sort of unfolded. You know, when I, when, it start, when I started really seeing how things unfolded, did I realize the power of the practice? Also, how did the uh, retreats affect you spiritually, like or the or your practice? The retreats, I find that you know a lot of the work I had done was non-retreat work, you know, the, with, the, with the writing and the, you know, the sculpture and, and, and a lot of that. But what I found was that what, what I needed retreat work to do was that the... Um, I, had to, I had to keep looking with more subtle, subtler and subtler um, habits. And those just take a really quiet mind. And, and it, it needs a level of concentration. So when my mindfulness started getting stronger and my concentration got it started getting stronger, I just needed to do longer retreats to 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 watch to be able to see what was happening with the little on the more subtle scale. I was trying to figure out how to word this. Um, I think her question helped me a little bit. Um, it seemed like there was some gaps in your practice. Is that accurate mm-hmm. assessment? Okay. Um, would you say that when you came back to it, would you say that um, it you were it, was it a setback, or when you came back to it, you were sort of reinvigorated or something? Um, was it? Um, 
basically was it like riding a bicycle you know when you came back was it like you're just right back in it and you you were able to well grow even more you know with 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 some of it you know when i was going away and then kind of coming back it was it was usually a relief when i got back like oh you know i'm home but there was a period where you know where there was that big major you know uh depression in my life where the practice actually um when i was doing you know retreat work it actually made it worse and so i had a little bit of a fear uh when i came back that time and and i remember going on my first retreat and i mentioned this to gil and he said well what are the symptoms and i mentioned so it was it was nice to have um a teacher who could support me around that and he said that this was you know a long time ago and and um he said what were the symptoms you know that i would experience when i'd be sitting in meditation when it became uh kind of scary and he said okay just come 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 talk to me if that happens again and it never happened again so then i was able to let go of the fear of coming back to doing retreat work but that was you know just because of a psychic um imbalance that happened in my brain that that time it it was a little harder to come back i see so you felt like you were set back in some cases and like you had to start all over again in in some no. ways or no no okay no it was uh because it's amazing when if you have when i have the times when i would have a daily practice i could really sort of feel the benefit you know benefits but then when you stop you really notice that yeah it's better that when i do when i do meditate so so that was always i always knew that but when you meditate uncomfortable stuff comes up and sometimes it's hard to make yourself come in and do it so that was but always when i was here it was always it always felt useful thank you just wanted to say thank you also in expressing your misgivings about doing something like this and and doing it in front of all of us it's inspiring and um at one point when you said am i boring you all it's like no because what you're giving voice to are experiences like i've had in my life that i don't generally give voice to and you did it in such a wonderful way thank you thank you So you mentioned your retreat you mentioned going on retreats could you talk a little bit more about um your retreat experience I mean have you it sounds like you've done a lot of retreats is that right and were they short ones or long ones or this with this year taking this year off um I started with a a week retreat in October and then I did a week retreat in March and I just did one uh, last week with Richard um and I'm going to be doing a two week in in July So I haven't done more than uh and then in the past I would do weekends and a few weeks here and there. But I I I've grown to really love retreats. That it's it's and the practice I just love the benefit from it.
There was another course that I had done while I was working at this little gift store, and that was the Awakening Joy class. And that, and that was a that was a, a, a interesting practice in in noticing, um, you know, what what is joyous, and and also the in, in mindfulness. I know Andrea talks about this too. Is is if you're if you're you're kind of off, and all of a sudden you wake up in in a mindful moment. And just kind of celebrating that, and those sorts of practices also, I think, are are quite quite helpful in 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 knowing what brings joy. And it's not dependent on it, on anything, any situation. I guess we're going to end early tonight. And I'd like to do a, a little ritual, you know, dedication of merit. And it's these little rituals, I think, are so profound. It kind of keeps the, the ego from kind of building to, to offer up any benefit that this has presented to all beings. May um, everybody be at ease. May everybody be happy. Thank you.